Good morning. Good morning, we're reading from Genesis 2, 1 and 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work and that had been done. And verse 3. Oh, and verse three. 3, I'm sorry. <laughs> God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for it is rested from all his work in creation. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. We are, um, we're going to continue this morning our, our series called This Sacred Moment uh, as we are journeying through the Bible to discover how God instills this fundamental need and purpose and practice of rest and refreshment into each and every one of us and how this, this if we can embrace this subversive idea of Sabbath, it will serve as both worship to our God and as a witness to the world of this identity and freedom that has been granted to us through Christ. The Bible invites us to experience the sacred art of stopping, of Sabbath. And he invites us to do this in a world that is full of busyness and hurry and, and rush and, and activity and doing, of, of the constant accumulation of more, more stuff, more accolades, more money, more knowledge, more events, more television, more charity, more everything. And we can fool ourselves sometimes into justifying our endless pursuits, our, our constant activity, our perpetual motion with an almost delusional idea that if God wants all of me, that he must want me to keep serving, keep working, keep giving, keep stretching. In other words, we convince ourselves that God is a God of burnout. And then the word surrender to us, when God becomes a God of burnout, the word surrender to us becomes a really stressful word. We don't like the word surrender. I remember sitting down next to a young man like 10 years ago, and, and he was struggling with the fact that the, the message that morning was about surrender, and he was struggling with the fact that, that he was supposed to surrender everything to God, but did not know how. And the, the, I was the worst person in the world to ask him, like, to help him understand what that meant, because I didn't really understand what it meant either. And so for me, like, when he asked me, he's like, how do you surrender? I'm like, oh, just keep doing more stuff, I guess. Like, just keep giving more and more of what you have, I guess. I guess that's surrender, right? So I gave him a really bad answer. And I wish I could just go back and apologize to him and say, man, surrender is not about doing more. It's about being more. Surrender 
when we get pushed into this idea of rushing and pushing, doing and active and, and constantly working and serving and, and staying in this, this perpetual motion, is that it becomes more about giving of our energy and our money and our work to God. Surrender then becomes this idea where we, we serve in more ministries and we give a greater percent of our wages and we read more and we learn more and we evangelize more and it becomes less about stopping and celebrating the new rule of a better king over your life because that's what surrender actually is. It's about stopping and celebrating the fact that there's a better king who now rules over your life. It's not you anymore. So here's what I'm asking from you. I'm asking for you to consider carving out space and time in your life for this sacred moment known as Sabbath. Now in the Bible, it's a day. We're going to talk about it today. It's a day of rest. But I know for many of us, if we're locked into this idea of movement and working and active and serving and pushing and all of that, the idea of a day almost seems painful to us. So don't start with a day. Start with an hour. In a world where, as I mentioned before, we, we are so distracted in our current day and age that the average person, the average person touches their phones an average of 2,600 times a day. That's not wild. An hour almost seems like, how do we do an hour? All right, start with 30 minutes. Continue to work your way up. 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Three hours of rest. I'm asking you to rest more. We can do this, guys. I'm asking you to stop pushing and stop fighting so much. It seems like almost an easy ask, but yet it may be one of the hardest things you have to do. To actively resist movement and pushing and fighting. To just remain with the Father. And just as I am asking you, I am also asking me. Because I am, I, I am not preaching this as, as something that I am good at, but as something that I am terrible at. I, I, my personal struggle is so much with the idea of resting. Because I, too, have bought into the idea in my life that I am supposed to stay constantly busy and overloaded and weighed down by the burdens of doing that I struggle greatly with staying still in any situation, much less in the presence of God himself. And when I'm honest with myself, and when I'm honest with you, I know that God has not asked me to maintain a mode of constant inertia. And I do it not to please the God who asks me to rest. I do it to satisfy my own projected expectations of other people. And in so doing, I am satisfying the expectations of me. 
I become a slave to the rat race of my own making. And I am reminded by Jesus in the book of Matthew that my reward, if, if that is what I am aiming for, does not come from my heavenly Father, but from the inflation of my own ego. And in that state of rushing and hurrying and going, I miss out on the reward that comes by simply resting in the arms of a father who has already set me free to rest in him. So, there's a saying that says, as go the leaders, so goes the church. And so this is why I'm also preaching to me this moment. Because I am convicted that I should never preach any message that states, do as I say, not as I do. That's not how this works. That's, 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 that's the fundamental definition of hypocrite in the Bible, right? Instead, the fundamental preaching message is what is good news to me is good news to you. If it is good news to me, if it, if it is changing who I am, it, it is good news to you as well. And so as I am only now coming to realize that his Sabbath rest is for me and for my good, and that Sabbath is more than just crashing and hitting the wall every so often, and then crumpling into this vegetative state of disassociative digital distractions. But it is these, this, instead, it is this cultivation of space, of, of delight and enjoyment and dwelling with God as I am discovering just how good news this is. I share it with you. In the hope, not that you will, will learn as I have mastered, but simply that you will join me in this journey of stopping and resting and celebrating the good finished work of God together. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into our passage this morning. Father, we just thank you for um, the, uh, the time of ministry that you have already granted us today to, to hear from uh, to hear from Steve and his, his missions work in Mexico and the, the good work that you're doing through him and keeping him safe, <laughs> protecting him, watching over him, and, and, and just being fruitful through um, his faithfulness and obedience to you in that way. Father, we ask as we open up your word and we, we explore uh, what it has for us this morning that we would be willing to, uh, to follow, to hear from your voice and to respond as you ask us to respond. And God, we just ask that you would just begin to break through the other voices that are in our, in our mind and in our hearts that are pushing back or pulling us in different directions, saying, no, it cannot be this. It must be something else. It has to be this way. Will we just be able to hear your voice and follow? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we began our series with this invitation from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. But our story really begins way further back, like 
like not just further back, but all the way back, all the way back at the beginning. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 today. So if I have your Bibles, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Um, and uh, I, I probably shouldn't tell you to pull it out on your phones because I feel like that would be defeating the purpose a little bit this morning. Uh, we, we do have a few Bibles in the back. If you need one, just throw up your hand. We'll try to get it to you. Um, hey, we got one. Okay. Um, so uh, we, would, uh, we would just love to continue to, uh, to just read from God's Word this morning. So uh, I, I have a warning for you today. It's a bit of a Hebrew lesson. So just be prepared with, we'll just warm up those, those vocal cords a little bit today. All right. So just hang in there with me. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Okay. So the first, the first verse of Genesis chapter 2 is basically recapping everything that's already happened in Genesis 1. The heavens and the earth and everything in them were created. So if you just open up page 1 of your Bibles, what does that work look like? Day 1. God speaks light into existence, and he separates light from dark. And he creates time. Do you, do you ever think about that? The very first thing that God creates in all of existence is not matter, it's not space, it's time. He creates day and night. Now, if you think about this too, from, from, from an ancient Jewish cosmology, Light would not be for us. We think of light as being some sort of physical matter that's produced from stars and all of this. An ancient Jew would never think about it in that way. They'd be like, there's light. I don't know where it comes from. And dark. I don't know where it comes from. Light and dark. Day and night. This is how I understand it. The very first thing, and the point is, it's not a science textbook. It's a theology book that's saying God, in his, he authors time as his very first act of creation. Keep that in mind. Day two, God forms an expanse between the waters called sky or heaven. So in other words, second thing he creates, day two, is space. First he creates time, then he creates space, second day. Day three, God forms land and seas and vegetation and fruit and trees. And then day four, he begins to fill his earth that he has been formed. Day four, God fills day and night with these orbs of light, stars and sun and moon. Day five, God fills living creatures in the seas and the skies. And then day six, God fills the land with living creatures and then humans who will rule over all of those living things. For six days, God labors over the work of creation building and forming and filling the universe with his speech. And so he creates this amazing living world, inhabiting both time and space. 
And he blesses the living creatures and humans. So in the creation story and and throughout the rest of the Bible, a a blessing is this life-giving ability to make more life. And in each of these moments, after he blesses something, God declares, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so what he does is he instills this God-given identity and mandate of every uh, good thing that God makes. And that identity is to spread more goodness and beauty and life, to replicate flourishing throughout the earth. And then the seventh day arrives. And on the seventh day, it says, God finishes the work of creation. He finishes the work. He's been working and working for six days. On the seventh day, God finishes the work of creation. And he finishes it in this very unusual way. He rests from the work he had done. He shabbats. He stops. He ceases and he celebrates. God engages in a mode of rest that enjoys the fruit of his labor. Now just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, this eternal being with the power to create space and time and life and beauty and goodness simply by speaking it into existence, This God who does not need sleep or a day off or a vacation, who does not tire or burn out or need endless amounts of coffee to keep going like I do, this immortal, uncreated being without parallel rests. A being who does not need rest, rest. So that means that resting, the art of Shabbat, of Sabbath, is more than just recharging your batteries. At least if we're talking about resting in the way that God rests. God does not rest to restore himself in order to keep going. And that's what we do all the time. God rests in order to enjoy what he has. The seventh day is this moment of the created order that is set aside to celebrate life and beauty and goodness, to literally stop and delight in the work of his hands, if he had hands. So in Judaism, there are two words for rest, okay? So here's here's the first Hebrew lesson today. The first is the one that we've been talking about, and that's the word Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Good job. All right. Shabbat is this word that means to stop or to cease or to be complete or even to celebrate, as we've mentioned before. Now, there's another word for rest, and it's the word manucha. Can you say that? Menucha? Hey, good. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's like you're hocking up something. Menucha. Okay? 
Sorry, apologize to the people directly in front of you. Um, I won't make you say it again. Menucha. And for the Jew, menucha uh, is this restful space that you create. It's more than just stopping and ceasing in your tracks like a Shabbat is. Shabbat is this almost, almost like a violent physical stopping of something. But menucha is, is not quite the same. It's more about cultivating an environment uh, of enjoyment, a, a restful mode of being. And that word can even be translated sometimes as happiness, as happiness. When God stops, he Shabbats on the seventh day. He creates a day for Manucha. Heschel calls it a palace in time to celebrate life for his good world. And then, now don't forget about this, then he makes men and women in his image. Meaning that we were placed here to represent the reign and rule of God on this earth. The Hebrew word for image can literally be translated as an idol. It's interesting. We were made it created images of God on the earth to be his representation of him on the earth the reason why in, in the book of exodus jesus says or god says do not have any uh, do not make for yourself any idols is basically because god is saying i've already made some it's you you're the representation of me on this earth an idol was nothing but a, a figurehead to represent this god that they worship and to attribute uh, whatever it is that this God was supposed to do. This God was acting on behalf of the other God that it represented. You are in that way, in the same way. It's the same word that we use for idol, is image of God. You are an image of God, and it means you are representing the reign and rule of God on this earth. Go forth, multiply, and have dominion to rule over the earth, to subdue it. So we are, in that way, we have been charged with, commissioned to walk in his ways, to follow his precepts, and to continue the work of flourishing and spreading his good creation around. Tending and cultivating and multiplying and promoting life and beauty. We function as middle managers on the earth. We do what the CEO tells us to do. But that also means... As images of God, we are not just working, we are also resting and enjoying and delighting in the work of creation and celebrating what God has done in and through and for us. And I am somewhat stunned by this because, admittedly, I have understood the idea that I am made in the image of God I get that I mirror him in some way. And I, I, I understand that I am made to reflect his, his character and nature, his, his grace and compassion, loving kindness, faithfulness and forgiveness and justice. And that I mirror his work and his activity in the world because as I'm doing it, I understand I'm showing the world 
who this, is, who this God is and, and how he, he created me to be. But I have missed this other really important part that says, I am created to mirror the Shabbat, the manucha, manucha of God, as much as I reflect his nature and his work. So what this means is, to be fully human, exactly as God made you to be, means that you not only work as he made you to work, but you rest as he has made you to rest. You not only partner with God in the doing, in the furthering and spread of his good work, you also enjoy what he has made and what he has given to you. Because when you and I ignore Sabbath rest, when we hurry ourselves to work and, and labor and we give into digital distractions, we promote within ourselves a subhuman state of being below what God made for us to be. We become less than what we were made for, even as we perpetually seek to accrue more and more for ourselves. The more we gain, the less we actually represent God. Is that crazy? And I'm reminded of Jesus' question here. Should I gain the whole world and forfeit my soul in the process. What benefit is there? You were created with Sabbath in you. You were built to share this moment in time with the Creator God, to dwell with Him in His presence and delight in His good world. To work, yes, certainly, but also to rest. Now we get to the fun part, which is verse 3. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So, God not only Shabbats on the seventh day, he blesses it and he declares it holy. Now I get that these are super churchy words. Blessings, holy. And because of that, I have in my own life and, and understanding sometimes gloss over this declaration of God. All right, so he blesses, he makes it holy, I get it, move on. Where's the good story, right? In other words, I have rushed past them when, ironically, the very acts of blessing and consecration are telling me not to rush past, but to pause and to listen and to consider the weight of this day. So it's time that we redeem that a little bit. So first, God blesses the seventh day. He blesses the seventh day. Again, blessing tends to be one of those spiritual words that we've taken that it's really important to God somehow, right? He blesses, blesses things that he likes, right? Sure, okay. 
And uh, if, if we say somebody's blessed, it usually we, we're talking to them and we think it's, well, you're really fortunate, you're, you're lucky, you're special somehow, you've been gifted with lots of stuff, your, your abilities are really, really good, so you are a blessed person. Now, that's our modern colloquial definition, but what does the Bible say? So, the Hebrew word for bless is barak. Everybody say barak. Barak, okay. Barak. And barak, as we have seen earlier in chapter 1, what does it mean? It means to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth with life. Whenever God blesses something, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's the blessing of God. God blesses living creatures. He gives them the ability to create more life. God blesses humans. He gives them the ability to create more life. God blesses the seventh day. Wait a second. Wait a second. How can you bless a day? It's not a living thing, right? It's not a living thing. It's not matter or space. It's just time. There are three things that God blesses in Genesis. One and two. He blesses living creatures. He blesses humans. And he blesses the seventh day. God is revealed in Genesis 1 to be the author of both space and time. He gives a day, he gives time, he gives Sabbath time the ability to fill the world up with life, to multiply goodness and flourishing, to spread the good creation of God throughout the world. The Sabbath day has a unique blessing to fill the earth with life. And so this day of celebrating and ceasing is a day that God has specially made with the power to refill you with energy and creativity and vision and strength and optimism and hope. Have you thought about that? When you genuinely take time to set aside things, to actually rest and enjoy, it's meant to refill you with life. It's not just like carrying on until the next day. It's not even just revitalizing you to do more work. It's actually restoring you with more flourishing. With, with the things of God, it's, 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 it's renewing your spirit as you take the time to dwell with the Father, the one who blesses. It's a powerful statement that he blesses the seventh day. I love how one author put this. He said, there is a rhythm to this world, and for six days we rule and subdue and work and draw out and labor and bleed and wrestle and fight with the ground. But then we step back, and for 24 hours we Sabbath. 
We enjoy the fruit of our labor. We delight in God and his world. We celebrate life. We rest and we worship. The creator God is inviting us to join him in this rhythm, this interplay of work and rest. And when we don't accept that invitation, when we don't receive the blessing that is the Sabbath day, we reap the consequences of fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, Busyness, starved relationships, worn down immune systems, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. These are the signs of a life without rest. Have you ever realized that in our pursuit to gain more life, we lose life in the process? We lose more life than we probably gain at the end. And I think that's where Jesus is saying, is it, is it worth it? What benefit is there to gain the whole world and forfeit your life, your soul? So God blesses the seventh day. The second thing, though, that he does is he makes it holy. All right, now this, is, this, one, this one is crazy. So the word holy is the word kadosh. Everybody say kadosh. Kadosh, yes. That's the only word, that's the last word you had to remember today. Shabbat, manucha. Uh, Barak and Kadosh. Those are the four Hebrew words. You are all Hebrew scholars now. At least when it comes to Genesis 1 and 2. Um, so the word here is Kadosh, meaning set apart, consecrated, dedicated for worship. And, and Kadosh has this imagery of, uh, you can think of it like the sun. It's a good way to think of it like the sun. It's radiating power and, and goodness, this, this cleansing force that eradicates anything profane in its presence. And it just, it just emanates out from the center of, of this being of God. Now, God himself is, is utterly, totally, completely Holy, like his holiness is probably the defining character trait of who he is, is his holiness. The temple in Jerusalem had this one inner room called the Holy of Holies. And it was said to be this place where God himself dwelt and the, and the high priest would only enter into that room one day a year to be near this utterly holy And this high priest, just in case he wasn't totally pure of heart and motive and all of those things, he would wear a rope around his ankle and, and back with bells tied on it. And so you could hear him walking around in the room. And if the bell suddenly stopped, you knew he was dead because the holiness of God just totally obliterated him. And so you'd have to pull him out real quick. If, if, if the, the holiness of God was too much for a profane human being to bear and it just wiped him off the face of the earth, you'd just pull the, the rope back out and try again later, right? I think. I would not want to be that job, right? I don't consider myself good enough to really have that access. And yet, that's, that's the crazy story about this whole thing, right? Um, so, so this was this, 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 this such was... The, the utter power and, 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 and weight and, and, and radiates that was the holiness of God. 
To be a holy people in, his, in the word is to be set aside to worship God in his presence. To dwell with God in a sacred space is to worship God in his presence as he takes up space near me. To be holy as a created thing is to be dedicated to Yahweh, to have his utter goodness radiating through you. Now here's the ultimate question. What is the first thing that God makes holy out of everything that he created? I'll give you a hint. It's not the temple. It's not humans. It's not a living creature. It's not any object. It's a day. It's the seventh day. The seventh day is the very first thing in all of creation that God makes holy. It's not space, it's not a person, it's a moment. The Sabbath is literally a sacred moment dedicated to Yahweh for the purpose of worship. It is a halting of time where we discover the beauty of God, the mystery of Yahweh, the glory of his goodness and the holiness of his name. And I want to quote Abraham Heschel once again. He says, For where shall the likeness of God be found? There is no quality that space has in common with the essence of God. There is not enough freedom on the top of a mountain. There is not enough glory in the silence of the sea. Yet the likeness of God can be found in time, which is eternity in disguise. When God finishes the work of creation, of heaven and earth, he sets apart not a space for worship, but a moment in time to worship. To come to the creator, to set down at his feet, and to reflect with awe and wonder at his goodness and glory and holiness. This was not meant to happen only in the sacred spaces of church buildings, of of physical temples and sanctuaries, especially if during that time we are too busy serving and running around and thinking of all the things that we need to do after our hour and a half of church gatherings are completed. And I will tell you, I am as guilty of this as any. I long for our time of Sabbath to be one where each one of us enters into a state of rest and happiness and enjoyment. We're not constantly worried about what do we have to do next? How fast do we get this done? And what's the, what's the thing? And what's the thing? I've got to do all this stuff. And, and everybody's going and doing and working and, and pushing and fighting. And God wants you to be with him. Like that's, the whole, that's the whole point of Sabbath is to enjoy him and to worship him as a result. He's not asking you to do anything but that. That's it. What would it look like if our churches stopped becoming hustling, bustling places of activity and motion and busyness and started being places of stillness, peace, joy? So let me ask you this. Do you have a seventh day 
like God made for us? Do you have a seventh day in your own life? Whatever day it is, whatever moment it is, do you have moments in your life that are filled with life and refreshment and awe and wonder and worship? And I mean not just merely a handful of of barely conscious of sacred space in which you exist. Like, I'm barely here, but I'm here. What if you were here? What if you were truly here? God is with you not just where you are, but when you are as well. We can also assume that. Is the Sabbath the end of your work? The moment where you look back with satisfaction and delight in what God has done in, through, and for you? Or is this pause for relaxation not the end, but merely a brief respite in order to gain more energy for the sake of activity to keep doing more? Is it merely just a simple deep breath to keep going and pushing and pushing and pushing? Here's what God wants for you. He gives you six days to work, to wrestle with the world, to toil in it, to build civilization and community, to further good community, good creation and life in God's world. And then we step back, we settle down, we rest, and we worship. And so in everything that we do in these moments, we have to filter it through the lens of these two questions. One, is it rest? And two, is it worship? If the answer to both of those questions is yes, then great, you're practicing the art of Sabbath. If it's not, drop it, set it aside, wait for tomorrow. God has given you permission to procrastinate for one day. If that procrastination results in more life and more rest and more worship. If it is blessed and sacred, God gives you permission to procrastinate for one day. Take advantage, people. It's worth it in order to find more rest and worship in your life as a result. Nothing that you can say, I am putting off, I wish I could do that right now, is worth losing that. What benefit is there to gain the whole world and lose your life? And I know that God wants this for us. I know it because he says so. Later on, a couple of, a book later in the book of Exodus, God is, um, he's up on this mountain with uh, the people of Israel and he's handing out these, these 10 commands, these, these, these commands that are going to form the basis of a community with him. He's like, if you're going to be in community with me, if you want my, my work with you, my partnership with you, I want you to, to walk in this way. You follow these 10 commands, I continue to work with you, we have good community together. I'm setting you apart and you walk in these ways. And so he gives us these Ten Commandments. Okay? No other God before me. Do not have any idols. Okay? But, all of that, but, but which one is the longest? If you were to look at that passage in Exodus chapter 20, which of those commands is the longest? It's the one about Sabbath. He spends the most time talking about Sabbath. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So, Yahweh makes the Sabbath holy. We keep the Sabbath holy. God is the one who makes this day holy. We are the ones who keep it. It is God who imparts the sacred moment into the created order. It is active resting and worshiping of humans that preserves and upholds God's sacred moment for the world to experience. It is as if we have been tasked in our happy Shabbat with keeping the window to eternity open for all to see. Now there's this strange and curious thing that's going to happen. Genesis 3. Man and woman choose to to rebel against God. They take from that which, which they desire for themselves, to gain for themselves, to have more than that which God has given them. Rather than resting in exactly what God has made and given and produced for them, they say, I want more. And they take and they eat what is not theirs to take. And so God is, is forced to respond and say, this is, unfortunately, I, I blessed these things for you, but you have brought curses upon yourself. And a curse, if a blessing is about flourishing and movement and growth and, 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 and this like overflowingness, cursing is about restricted, hindered, blocked, prevented. And so he gives a few different curses that end up happening. He says, he says um, there's going to be a curse between um, a woman and her children. You will toil with, with child raising and rearing and birthing. It will be a struggle and a, and a hardship to you. Husband and wife, this relationship will not always be a and an enjoyment to you. You will struggle sometimes to relate. You will have a hard time dealing with one another, communicating with there is There will be relational space that has been placed between you. And man, you will struggle with the ground. You will toil with it day and night over and over until it kills you. The curse that man brings on himself is the, is the absence of Sabbath. That we will continue to toil and work and strive and become a slave to the ground that should have, that we have been given dominion over will then suddenly have dominion over us as a result of our desire. It's the curse of labor without rest. And there's this beautiful thing that happens. 
is that Jesus comes. And his redemption restores not only our life, but our community and our time as well. What we see in, in Exodus as God redeems his people is he restores the act of creation, the order of creation that says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it set apart from me because I've given you life to renew you, to restore you, to refresh you, to undo the curse that you put upon yourselves. It is a sacred moment in which we dwell even now. That we reflect not only on his goodness and his mercy and his, his, his life that he has brought for us, but we, we rest in it. We don't use it as a, as a marker to, to keep pushing and keep going and keep striving and keep fighting. We use it to be refreshed and refilled by God to be directed by God, to be aimed by him, to be led by him so that we can go and work and spread and enjoy the fruit of what God has done for us. Let's pray, and then we will gather back together for one more song. God, I am... I am continued to be just in awe over what you are doing in my own, uh, my own understanding of all of this as you begin to restore a sense, a space, uh, your, your open moments of, of, of stopping in my life to finally see and seek you. And man, how blinded have I been in the moments where I work and I dedicate that work to you and yet I don't ever stop. And how much of that dedication is to you, but really it's for me. And I confess in the moments where I have made it more about my own selfish expectations to do more, have more, learn more, speak more, be more. When you're not asking for that from me, you're asking for surrender. You're asking for rest for me. You're asking for uh, a moment to celebrate with me in what you have done that I might delight in your work, not in my work, but in yours, that I might enjoy what you have done and who you are. I ask that for each and every person in this room, that we would take a moment to embrace your blessed and sacred moments you are asking from us. Help us, fathers, we begin to take the agonizing steps towards breaking out of the habits of busyness and hurry and rush to then embrace the small, sacred moments, to relish in them, to delight in them, May they just continue to grow and spread and multiply. May they fill our souls with rest and refreshment and life. May it multiply within us and without us. May we, a church, may we be a church that rests well together. I thank you as you continue to teach us and guide us and lead us in this 
May we continue to follow you with everything we are and everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.